it is bafflingly misogynistic. Sharon Stone's performance ranges from just hysterical to screaming to one point when she's flying a plane, and we'll talk about that airplane scene in detail, I am sure. One point where she's like, my father said he wanted a son. I bet he'd know how to do this. It is one of the worst written female characters I have ever, 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 ever seen. I was livid watching this fucking movie. Every time she spoke or did anything, or every time Quatermain would talk to her because he always talked down to her, it was Very insulting. Condescending. Insulting. Very condescending. The Epic Film Guys Podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another brand new episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. Canon Quarantine. Canon Quarantine continues at long last on the show. Justin and the Sauce, they wanted to get all kiki-ki, ma-ma-ma, whatever the actual fuck. You know that nobody cares what it is except for you guys, right? Except for you hardcore horror people. Nobody cares what it is well the hardcore horror people's care as she, you just she, said she. So. it could be she 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 ba 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 he 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 da 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 Nobody well it cares. isn't so no that's wrong that's wrong no 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 it is ki 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 ma 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 but Man. i do want to thank all you guys out Man. there for listening to our special 40 years of camp blood Friday the 13th, 40th anniversary episode. Boy Sauce, it felt great to get such a great reaction to that episode. It warms the cockles of my heart. So much blood, so much gore. The head's motherfucking rolling all over the place. But yes, we are here. We're back back. with hashtag. Yeah, you can't even get out of here. (sighs) Next week, ladies and gentlemen, to give you something to look forward to a little bit more than this review. Listen, they picked it. Ninja 3 The Domination. Yeah, boy. Ninja 3 The Domination. Don't be sounding all like, you know, our audience picked this. That is very true. That is true. You brought this on yourselves. Yes, you could have had The Company of Wolves. An actual good movie. Yes, but no... (laughs) Y'all motherfuckers are like, mm, King Solomon's Mines. Oh, Sharon Stone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Indiana Jones ripoff. That's what I want. I figured they were just like, how can we make them suffer? At least that's that's kind of what, what I was envisioning. But we've got a lot of stuff to go over. Well, not a lot of stuff. We've got some stuff. We have some things to go over, gentlemen. Before we get there, first and foremost, as of this release date, the live stream for The Cure fourth annual event is coming may 27th through the 31st we're gonna be raising ten thousand dollars for the cancer research institute for a future gentleman immune to cancer hashtag fuck cancer an absolutely amazing event we did record a new promo in our pre-roll we're gonna go ahead and spin that for you guys right here i'm nick i'm justin and i'm brian we are the Epic Film Guys. We want to let you know that the fourth annual live stream for The Cure is only a couple weeks away. Every single dollar raised goes to the Cancer Research Institute to help us fight for a future immune to cancer. And once again, 
donations will be doubled. Join us May 27th through the 31st for 48 hours of content from creators around the world. Please help us spread the word so we can smash our goal of $10,000. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com to make an early donation and to learn more about the event. Together, we can make a difference. We'll make sure, again, donations, we got the word from the Cancer Research Institute, will be doubled by the amazing, amazing benefactors of the Cancer Research Institute. So that means we stand a very good chance of raising $20,000 for cancer research. I can't wait. Do you realize over the lifetime, not including whatever's been doubled, over the lifetime of this entire thing, we've raised about $15,000 for cancer research in the last three years. We can double that and then some with whatever gets doubled on top of on top of this. I know it's it's weird to work out the math. I forget what it worked out to last year. It was like fifteen and a half or sixteen thousand dollars last year. Once you kind of doubled everything and factored in fees for PayPal that get taken out and all that kind of all that kind of fun nonsense. But the point is, it's amazing. It's a really fun time. We've got dozens and dozens and dozens of content creators joining us from around the world to share their stories about cancer, to have fun, especially in these times of social distancing, coronavirus. We need the cheering up. We really, really need everything. You know, come together with us. We really want you guys to be there. Support the event. Buy the merch. T-shirts are for sale. Cafe Press, Red Bubble. You can get mouse pads. You can get mugs. All for sale. Check the links down in the show notes. Please support the event. Every single dime, every single bit of money goes to the Cancer Research Institute. And again, that's for a future immune to cancer and we got like a like a social media somebody mentioned it you know and you know how much the previous promo it actually upset them it actually upset them because they heard the promo because their family has lost so much to cancer and to them i say and to anybody else out there i say that's why we do this we do this because we want to live in a world where we're immune to cancer immunotherapy can be used to treat all types of cancer. We could very well live in a world one day immune to cancer. Imagine if you didn't have to tell stories about that close friend or family member that got taken too soon because of cancer anymore. That's a world that I think we all want to live in. So the promos aren't meant to upset people, but if they invoke that emotional response, it's because you hate cancer, just like we hate cancer. Come out during the event, live stream for the cure, make a donation. Let's fuck cancer together and let's reach a world where we can reach that immunity. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Please, please, please support the event. Livestreamforthecure.com. Make an early donation now if you're not going to be there or just make one anyway, whatever. And you can learn more about the event. Together, we can make a difference, guys. And on another positive note, I have to make sure I bring this up. We talked about it in our pre-roll this week, but we have a little bit of a celebrity on the podcast here. Loisos has been on the podcast for a while. Now. No, 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 not D'Artagnan. Loisos, you know what I'm talking about. No, not uh, you. He just turned no, side to you. side. He just turned side to side to give us a majestic <sighs> Listen, view of look, both look, sides of the beard. Look how egotistical this guy is here, Mr. D'Artagnan here. That facial hair is really weighing down your face here, bro. <laughs> Our very own Nick was on a television show, The Doctors. We had talked about it in our pre-roll a little bit, but Nick, I got to say, 
how proud we are of you for your weight loss journey and how amazing it was to see you. You're, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you know West Coast Justin some credit here. Shocked I know up. that I, I, I couldn't be the one to motivate you, but he was, and and he did a great thing by getting you involved with the Drop the Sugar. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have not had a chance to see it yet, Nick, make sure to link it in the show notes. Yep, it'll be down in the this show episode. Notes. Um, as soon as I saw, I got to watch it and I made sure to force Dolby vision 4k ultra HD resolution on my television over this video so I could watch (sighs) Nick on YouTube and, and watch his transformation on this show. It was so amazing the before and after for me. pictures so are still haunting for me to look at like side by side on the tv like just watching back this and remember that was recorded back in january so just looking at the the difference between those pictures and and the previous it's it's crazy craziness even still the even still to think of it but thank you uh thank you thank you very much and for all the kind words i've had a lot of people reaching out and whatnot since the since the spot aired but you know, I'm still a long way from I'm still a long way from my goals. I still have a long way to to push to get to those goals, but I'm well on my way there, and it feels good. I feel way better than I have in years and years. And I mean, well, we even talked about it again in the in the pre roll a little bit, but you know, when you guys came up here last year around this That's time, the story I was going to tell. Yeah, yeah, man, it's you know, it was it was a much much different story, much much different picture for me health wise, but. You know, sometimes you got to get serious about stuff. And I mean, really, you know, credit, credit where credit's due. Shock Top was, was the one that he got me involved in Drop the Sugar, but it was my friend passing away in March of last year. When somebody dies, like that's a best friend, like, or somebody like, even if it's family, even if it's somebody that's like super close to you, when they're like the same age as you, it's like a mental switch. It's like snap. Like it, it just completely changes your look on mortality. Like. You're standing there like I was standing at his graveside and I'm feeling unhealthy and like garbage, like this big fat house of a man. It's like I'm going to be in the ground next if I don't do something about it. You know, it really, really does. I mean, don't wait. That's what I would encourage people to do. Don't wait to make those changes in your life until it's too late or until whatever happens, until you're the one that's getting buried and all your friends and family are standing there saying, why are they gone so soon? Why are they gone so soon? You know, make the changes. Now you only get one life. Make the absolute fucking best of it every day. Put goodness, put positive things out there and take care of yourself so you can be around to share yes. memories and to yes. just share everything with all the people out there that you love. I can't emphasize how fucking important that is, like how much everybody needs to fight and strive for that, especially Literally, in these times the of best corona. public service announcement you could get right you know? now, especially during our quarantine yeah. right now, especially seriously. with all that stuff, like just to think about everything that's been taken away from us and like just put positive things out there and take care of yourself, take care of yourself, care about your health, do something for your health, for yourself every single day because you never know, you never know when it's going to be your time you know but you can make choices now to you know stick around for a little bit longer whether you're 21 or you're you're 45 you always have the opportunity to change your life and i think right now is the perfect opportunity watching nick's video is so inspirational for everyone even myself you know i I'm someone that's addicted to and obsessed with with health and fitness and and all of that part of that world. But when I watch it, I'm like, this is the time right now. 
You shouldn't be slacking. You should be focusing, especially when so much of our society is worried about, are we going to, are you going to live? Are you going to die? You know, what's dangerous? What's healthy? You're going to, you're going to live guys. Just common sense. You're going to live. <laughs> do what's right. And I'm just saying, based on our choices in life, you know, you never know yeah, right now what, what you're being told. Um, stay positive, stay healthy. And on that note, some movie related material oh, you'll hear from Is our that what we good do? old Loy Sauce here. Mm. Saucy, you watched a movie this past week that literally. No one knew now you existed. Tell uh, them what it's all about. Tell them, tell them what you're going to talk about. Sure. Well, I guess it's time for, can this be called a Loisos Cinema Beat? You know what we're going to call it? Bitches can't get enough of my That's stuff. That's what we're calling it. Yes. There we go. Sorry, Justin, I didn't mean to hijack your... <laughs> Your ancient segment. Let, let me the tell you. Let me tell you. The that's, floor is yours. That is that is reaching back into the annals of EFG history. I think I'm going <laughs> to chuck the sound drop in there just because because it was like that old school like drive-in theater. Now for our feature presentation sound, that's going in here for the episode. I gotta I gotta <laughs> dig that. I gotta dust that bad boy off now. But please, yes, go ahead. Do it. So yes, Justin, I I had the opportunity this past weekend to watch the the Valley Girl remake. Um, Originally set for release in 2018, it was delayed due to a controversy surrounding cast member and professional dipshit Logan Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Not an amateur, folks. Not an amateur. So, uh, so Orion Pictures, uh, of course, the great Orion Pictures, uh, released the film last week in drive-in theaters. And on digital platforms, I bought it on Apple TV in a bundle with the original film, which I thought was a pretty good deal. Um, but I discovered after the fact that I, I, I guess you could rent it, at least at the time I, I purchased the film. There was no option to rent on Apple TV. So I now own the Valley Girl remake. Um, you got swindled! <laughs> but, you know, at least I didn't feel like it was a waste of money. So... This is a musical remake of the 1983 classic starring Deborah Foreman and the incomparable, the godly Nicolas Cage. Can I just ask you a real quick quick question here? Sure. Who told you about the original Valley Girl and to watch it? Uh, I believe, well, I mean, you told me to watch it. It and was I did. definitely me. All right, there it is. It That's was all. definitely me. <laughs> definitely I Nick. I, as, you, as you always say, Loisos, you need to get credit. Hi, Jinx and Sue. So, yeah. So, um, uh, all the credit in the world goes to Justin for encouraging me to watch the original Valley Girl, which Mm -hmm. I then programmed at the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema, the the 4K restoration for Cage Miss, a month long celebration of Nicolas Cage that I programmed. But anyway, this updated version lacks the more sardonic edge of that film, but it's an appealing throwback that fits the bill if you're looking for an entertaining way to kill a couple hours during the quarantine. Uh, this version incorporates a Princess Bride-esque wraparound framing device featuring Alicia Silverstone as our main character, Julie Richmond, telling a story of her youth to her daughter, Ruby, in an attempt to encourage her to follow her ambitions. And Silverstone's casting is a clever meta-reference to another classic rom-com centered around Valley Teens, uh, Clueless, which incidentally celebrates its 25th anniversary this year. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, like a couple months or something. <laughs> so, 
Thank you for that teaser, Justin. Um, but I digress. So uh, it then flashes back to Julie as a young teen, now played by Jessica Roth, uh, hanging out with her friends at the mall and leading a choreographed song and dance routine to We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's. Yes, this is a jukebox musical in the tradition of we Mamma Mia or beat, Rock of Ages. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, exactly. So Whoa, Nick's already getting in the spirit the of the movie. <laughs> so in the tradition of Mamma Mia or Rock of Ages or movies such as you know movies and musicals such as that, it uses popular songs of the era in in theory to you inform the characters. No, we don't do enough of sing ABBA on the podcast. I I one hundred percent agree. See? We need to do a Mamma Mia retrospective. Can we please, point. for the love of God? <laughs> That's all the two of you guys. That's literally it. But it surprises me that they decided you heard, you to go on a musical We finally route. found a way to get Justin off of the show. <laughs> finally. <laughs> but yeah, so it uses these songs to inform the characters and propel the plot forward in theory. So it, the movie is set to a rotation of new wave music by the likes of Joan Jett, Cindy Lauper, <gasps> Aha, The Cars, what? Madonna, Hollow <gasps> Notes, The Cure, Wang Chung, etc. Um, all performed by the cast. And much like the aforementioned Mamma Mia or Rock of Ages, it's somewhat clumsily inserted into the proceedings as the story kind of the story has to find a place for the songs, which have already been written, rather than the songs finding a place within the story. However, the musical numbers are staged very well with energetic choreography by Mandy Moore, who did the uh choreography for Silver Linings Playbook and La La Land, as well as the Michael Jackson Immortal World Tour by Cirque du Soleil, which I saw live and it was incredible. One of the best experiences of my life. You know, the sequences are set in fun locations like the beach, a roller rink, an aerobics class, etc. There's a climactic prom night rendition of Queen and David Bowie's Under Pressure, and of course a new take on the Plimsolls A Million Miles Away, the unforgettable song from the original. So, um, the clever thing about all of this is the film constantly, well, not constantly, but occasionally reminds you that you're not really supposed to take any of this seriously. Um, there's a point where Ruby interrupts um, interrupts in the middle of a scene to ask, like, you were singing and dancing on top of a fountain? And Alicia Silverstone says, like, that's how I remember it. So touches like that are knowing winks to the audience to indicate, like, yes, we know this is not an accurate vision of the 80s. Uh, we know it's a stretch to believe that the characters would be breaking out into song. We're showing you the 80s as filtered through a middle-aged mom's nostalgia glasses. So the story really comes to a head at a costume party where Julie meets Randy, played by Josh Whitehouse, uh, a rough-around-the-edges Hollywood punk who whisks her away and shows her a whole new lifestyle and, much to the dismay of her friends and family, a romantic possibility she never knew existed. So uh, this is where the movie kind of... um, falters for me a little bit josh whitehouse he's not a terrible actor but you can tell that they casted him because he's like an attractive like he's hot and maybe it's because i kneel before the altar of Nicolas cage uh but this josh whitehouse character does not have even the iota should by the way yeah that's right um but he does not have even the iota of star power that Nicolas Cage possesses, nor does he have the voice that's strong enough to belt out these great songs. Um, Jessica Roth, on the other hand, from the Happy Death Day movies, she is such a delightful screen presence. I love her so much. She was born to be a movie star. 
um, and she performs the musical numbers with enthusiasm and gusto, and she absolutely breaks your heart during the film's more emotional scenes. I just wish she had more, you know, she had a male co-star with even half the charisma of Nick. Tell me this, tell me this. I don't mean to cut you off, but you know that I'm going to interject here. I love the Happy Death Day movies. Um, even though they should be rated R, I love them for what they are and what they give me as a horror fan. And I fucking love her so, so much in them, Loisos. Is oh. it worth watching for her alone and her performance in the film and what she does? Well, I watched this film for two reasons. I do love musicals and I like Valley Girl. So I was curious to see how they would update it. You're welcome. But- Thank you. The sad thing is, once, is you 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 just once again thank the you, Justin. Musical I hate the most. <laughs> I mean, yeah, jukebox musicals are always a little dodgy. Like but I hate it, Rock of Ages so much. I mean, yes, I I I, I think this mu- this movie is far less annoying than Rock of Ages. I like Rock of Ages for Tom Cruise and the high camp of Cruise everything, so but it's good not a movie, good movie. Yeah. It's not a good movie. But this, I mean, I would. Well, the other reason I wanted to check it out was because of Jessica Roth. I do love her in the happy death day movies. And I, like I said, I was not disappointed at all by the movie. Um, however, the movie is marred by the mere appearance of one Logan Paul. The Paul brothers are everything that's wrong with the world. Um, I think if they were to drop oh, off the face of the there. planet and um, I think if they were to drop off the face of the planet, society would be better for it. Um, and I have to appeal to our listeners right now. If you're listening to the show right now and you watch Logan Paul on YouTube, or if you let your kids watch Logan Paul on YouTube or you support him in any way, I want you to seriously reevaluate your life choices. I'm serious. Like, I want you to seriously take a step back and, and, and think, like, what, what am I doing? Public service announcement on the Epic Film Guys podcast. We're getting serious here. What am I, I doing that with the my more life? you know sound drop from like the NBC <laughs> commercial? That's right. Um, however, the character he's playing is supposed to be a massive douche, which I imagine did not require much acting ability from Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and, and needless to say, he does fit the role quite nicely. Um, he's also decked in the face at one point quite hard, which for my money is the most satisfying moment in any movie I've seen so far this year. So um, luckily, I mean, there's a strong supporting cast. You have Mae Whitman, Judy Greer. Her? Uh, Ro- Her? Yeah. No, that's yes. Um, May Whitman, yeah. May May an egg, or <laughs> yeah. she puts the egg anyway. in the mouth and squirts the mayonnaise back, and then she. <laughs> Wait, wasn't one of them in that cat movie? Uh, Judy Greer. You have yeah. Uh, Randall Park. You have Randall Park. You have Thomas Lennon. Um, so strong supporting cast there. You kind of have a passing of the torch cameo by a certain cast member from the original who appears. It's not Cage. Spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. No. Um, but and it also incorporates uh, more than a few updated elements to draw parallels between modern day and the strides that women took in the 80s to claim their independence and forge their own paths. Um, as I said, it has none of the grit or edge of the original, but it is earnest and sweet uh, with a fun, freewheeling vibe. It's like someone blew a bubble from from candy-colored bubble gum and it just popped all over the screen. It was fun to see a fresh musical take on the story. Um, I can see it connecting with teens and introducing a new generation to some uh, totally tubular new wave tunes. Radical! Um, 
I would only recommend this if you like musicals. Otherwise, your patience will run thin very quickly. But for me, it was worth the 15 bucks that I spent to uh, to purchase it. And I'm going to give the Valley Girl remake a 7 out of 10. Hey. Wow. Not only did you give it a good rating, it's the first time ever that you gave a rating without one of us prompting you to give the rating. That's right. We didn't have to threaten to put him over knee. Well, I figured... <laughs> I I, <laughs> I figured I would uh, preempt any kind of emotional abuse that I would get from uh, being forced to do it. But yeah, you I watched King say, Solomon's Minds this week. You've suffered enough emotional abuse. <laughs> well, spoiler alert: I'm a huge King, fan King of the original. Minds, King Solomon's so, Minds, one out of ten. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, go ahead, Justin. Sorry. No, 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 no. I was just going to comment. You know, I appreciate the fact that you watched this. You didn't mention to me ever that there was a remake. This is a movie that I didn't know existed. When I saw you posting it, I was like, wait, wait a minute. What? What? Just like everybody else's reaction. Yeah, it wasn't well publicized. But then after the fact, anytime anyone else had that same reaction as I did, I laughed at them and gave them funny gifts, making fun of them like they should have known about this. But it was apparently supposed supposed to hit theaters. Um, You know, theaters were actually operating as normal business would occur right now. But I do love the original. I did tell you to watch that movie for for a long time when we became friends because it's, uh, I think, one of Nicolas Cage's best. And I think it's an 80s classic. And you know what? Um, It sounds like to me right up my alley, musical with new wave hits uh, as their basis. And if you're saying it's a better movie than Rock of Ages, which I already like, Nick's wrong in that way. You're wrong in that way. Uh, I think Rock of Ages is a Cruise is great in it. And you know what? The period aesthetic, like for like that 80s glam rock kind of, they captured that perfectly. It looks, the production design in that movie is great. But the movie, the script is garbage. And it's one of those musicals where literally it's like you're literally plot beats stringing together elaborate musical numbers. And I hate musicals like that. I don't care. And and this movie, there there was a similar element in which in, in Rock of Ages, you have the... Uh, the character I forget who the actor is, but who's playing like the male romantic lead uh, writing a song for Julianne Huff's character throughout the movie. And you see it kind of develop and it's don't stop believing. And you have to, you have to imagine in the movie that he's writing the song. Don't stop believing. And that's very much a similar thing that happens in Valley girl in which he's writing a song for her. And it's, I melt with you by modern English. Um, so there's parallels, but I, I think Rock of Ages was so overblown. This has kind of a more of a simple charm to it. It is very sanitized. It is kind of like the Glee version of Valley Girl, but it's fun. And like I said, for like teen girls, like this is a perfect movie for Mama them. Mamma Mia who- only gets a pass because Mamma Mia is like so in, in immensely rewarding to watch and so immensely energizing. Yeah, it's high camp, but you get you get great performances. And I don't Meryl even Street- listen to ABBA, but when when like you you listen you watch that movie, like you just can't help but sing along literally the whole goddamn time. It's so infectiously fun. Meryl Streep performs those songs as if they're Shakespeare, like they're Shakespearean it's sonnets. Fucking true, man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's and it's it incredible. has Christine Bransky in it, who is my. She's she's gonna be my wife one day. Don't 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 ask. That's questions. not the same that we can say about Richard Chamberlain playing Quartermain God in King Solomon's Minds. I feel like but we're really you. really trying to drag it out, so we don't have. I am. I have been no, excited. Every single canon quarantine discussion 
conversation, everything we've ever had since we started this whole thing, I have been excited for. I am not excited to talk about King Solomon's Mind because, oh, you were, because I don't know. And maybe, maybe as we're talking, okay, no, you know what? I take that back. There is one good thing that I'd like to mention about the movie. No, two things. Two good things I'd like to mention. Wait about till the, the review. Wait till the review. But it's going to be so hard to suss out good things to talk about in a movie this bad. <laughs> I got the whole list, motherfucker. I got the whole list. Don't you even jump in there, though, because Loisos has not guided us along the path of the plot yet. Like, he's going to keep us on track, and we're going we're well, to try to get wait a minute. Y'all got to wait a minute. Y'all got to wait a minute. We're not there, you know what I, No. Wait. You know what I got I to gotta, I gotta go pee-pee in the potty? Justin's going to go pee-pee in the potty, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to run over into a break for some EFG history. And uh, when we come back, guys... Canon Quarantine continues with King Solomon's Minds. Oh boy. This week in epic film history. You just called Sylvester Sloan one of the great creative minds in the film industry, right? I did. Oh, we might get Justin's rant at this I point. I did. That's that's. Why are you questioning uh, that? I'd like to hear the explanation behind Have that. Have you seen but... every single one of his films? No. So then how can you make an educated decision on that? Well, I haven't seen every film by Tyler Perry either, but I'm pretty sure I don't. Com- I'm two not completely different categories. Tyler Perry doesn't belong <laughs> in the same category as Sylvester Stallone. Oh, it was like 285 IBUs, but it was undrinkable. Almost, it was it was terrible. Like, cause you have to. Oh balance shit! It. I you wonder. I can't imagine why. I I can't imagine why that was terrible. It sounds so delightful. God damn it, shampoo. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> oh, oh my god. <laughs> like, it's right. so bitter, it tastes like the no shame idea of your forefathers. That, but for the love of God. It's so bitter, it tasted like day old fudge from Chrissy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, 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 the taste in your mouth. A night after eating Chrissy's fudge, <laughs> the type of bitterness Ew, that you feel in your phrasing? heart. That- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also made out of splenda. And we got to phrasing it. It's for bitter. Sorry. It's gross. It's totally gross. It God damn it! Who drilled my box? <laughs> People would pay a lot of money to. To see the pictures of you eating your fudge, Chrissy. <laughs> oh my God. Who else has got some thumbs? Of, or not some thumbs. God. Thumbs We're, of the week. Again. Thumbs of the week. Here we go. Yay. We're, We're starting, starting over again. again. Oh, holy it's shit. The plot of the Dark Tower. God damn it. We've changed a lot in the last seven years. Like me and Tommy on our podcast, Miserable Retail Slave. Life is changing. We're getting busier. Our lives are getting more complex. So you get to seven years in podcasting and you take a long, hard look at what you're doing. Like, do you even want to do this anymore? Do you have the time? Is it even worth it? Um, If you're a fan of our show, you've noticed that lately we've been pretty sporadic doing the show. Like, time is rare. So here's my huge announcement, and this is very hard for me to say. It really is. Coming June 1st, Miserable Retail Slave will be joined by a spinoff podcast because apparently enough isn't enough <laughs> i mean <laughs> we, 
we're we're having a hard enough time doing a podcast why not do another this one's called right up your alley nicholas someone's favorite movie podcast that's right we're horning in on your territory we're taking your listeners they're ours now i mean you i hope you're you happy. and every other movie pod i, I think you're <laughs> the 5,000th person to start a movie podcast today i talked to ashley on rabbit ears tv podcast about this when i was on her show and it was absolutely Who? amazing her her <laughs> you just you don't want to waste your time getting her all glitter up for easter <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I was thinking about the fact that I haven't been on here in a while. I just got done taking a massive shit, and I was thinking about how I could relate that shit to a film called Batman Forever. Hey, you ever heard of it? (laughs) It's funny you should mention that, Hobo Justin. Wait, you're not Hobo Justin. What is it? Hipster Justin. I don't know what you want to call me. You can call me anything you want if you'd like. I could give a fuck less. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so, so much for tuning in to another episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. If you love us, if you like us, or if you just want to hear Colby Mac Howell at the God of Podcasting, oh. there he is. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Please drop a beautiful, wonderful, amazing five-star review. We just got another one. It was super, super wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, it said I was awesome. And yeah, it did. It, it, all I, I did was best. talk about how awesome Justin was. It was like, fuck Nick and Loisos. They're pieces of shit. I don't think it said that. And also, I want to make sure <laughs> that it is clear <laughs> that I did not write that review myself. It's my good friend, uh-huh. Sam, that I met when I was in Texas to meet Michael Keaton. He is the head host of the Bat Fan Addict podcast, which is a great Batman podcast which you should definitely be checking out cool if you're a big batman fan but um yes he made sure to message me and say your one co-host has a big problem with baby turtles and baby splinter (laughs) and thank you for defending them and hey every week somebody else comes out of the woodwork to defend those goddamn shit garbage ass baby turtle puppets Please, by him saying that, give me more reviews. Review how great I am. Thank you. Oh my God. I love you. But gentlemen, it is time to return to Canon Quarantine. How are you going to die? <laughs> oh, gentlemen. Today, it is time to talk about King Solomon's Mines, 1985, smack in the middle of the 80s, directed by J. Lee Thompson, Loy Sauce. Why don't you give us a little taste of what King Solomon's Mines is all about? Well, damn, gentlemen, if I had known we were going to be talking about Indiana Jones, I would have just watched Indiana Jones instead of this hunk of garbage. (sighs) I imagine the conversation went like this. Um, Golan and Globus saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom and said, we need to make that. We need to remake that. And so essentially... Make that movie! Make that movie without Harrison Ford! Make that movie with someone! It will make lots of money! Uh, yeah, so that's essentially what they did. Um, but they disguised their their shameless plundering of the Indiana Jones films by claiming that their film 
King Solomon's Mines, was based upon the novel by the same name by H. Ryder Haggard, featuring his iconic character, uh, the fortune-seeking Alan Quatermain. Not Quatermain, as the characters in the film repeatedly refer to him as Quatermain. It's Quatermain. Very distinct difference there. Um, No one cares. (laughs) um, the, The film doesn't bear much resemblance to the novel other than the title, Um, the character of Quatermain, and the shocking racism, which was questionable in 1885, but downright unforgivable in 1985. And we'll be talking about that much more, I'm sure. Um, Before I I talk about the the plot of the film, uh, Justin, J. Lee Thompson, who who is this man? And what other films has he directed? uh, J. Lee Thompson is actually an icon... In the canon movie legend. Okay, this man made so many great movies for canon. Uh, Notably, ladies and gentlemen, all the movies that you haven't fucking picked yet in the votes. So please, in the (laughs) polls, please, please. We could have been talking about one of his other movies next week, but you didn't pick it. So, um, no, he directed Death Wish 4, one of Bronson's best canon films ever made, 10 to Midnight. And if you go back in his filmography, he directed the original Cape Fear directing Gregory Peck, as well as the two later Planet of the Apes sequels. So this man uh, was known for directing, you know, some quality motion pictures. And he did almost all of Charles Bronson's films that he was, you know, contracted to do with Canon. So he knows how to make a movie. He sure does. Just not this one. Um. So, well, unless you all disagree, we'll get to that. But (laughs) yeah, we'll get there. Um, So the film follows the exploits of Quatermain, played by Richard Chamberlain, who is hired by Jesse Houston, played by Sharon Stone, to locate her missing father, who she believes disappeared in an attempt to find a rare South African treasure. Uh, Pursued by the ruthless Turkish slave trader Dogati and the German military leader Colonel Bachner, Quatermain must brave crocodiles cannibals, lions, quicksand, booby traps, and more dangers to reach the fabled King Solomon's mines. And much like Avenging Force, it just jumps right in with an opening scene that is so sudden that it literally made me shout, what? At my screen. (laughs) Nick, can you describe that opening scene for us, please? (laughs) Oh, boy. So... It was it was what it was not two minutes into the movie, <laughs> and what is it? It's his assistant or whatever, dude. A guy gets killed by like this spiky Spikes! thing into the door, and then the Spikes! old guy the old guy jumps out of his chair and he goes, "My door," and then he goes running. <laughs> like, I literally I paused the movie at that point, and I legitimately oh, I went. Yes. <sighs> I took a deep breath because I knew from that moment exactly what kind of, well, sort of exactly. I didn't count on all of the frightful misogyny and racism, but we'll get there again, as we said. But Yeah, the the, the my door thing, seems to, it seems to be a running gag throughout the movie of some sorts. There's a part where um, they're in Kazam's uh, shop or whatever, and Quatermain comes crashing through the skylight roof, and he lands on his feet. I don't know how he didn't break both of his legs, but anyway, um, and, and which prompts Kazam to say, uh, my table! 
But, and then because uh, he breaks the table. Where's her father, you towel-headed freak? Well, we'll get to that. Uh, and then when there's a part where the Germans are drowning in quicksand, and um, and the Herbert Lom character says, "My gra- my gramophone." So it's like a running joke of people like lamenting their <laughs> their. But uh, listen, but listen, but listen. Objects. That opening death, fuck the both of you, was awesome. Seriously. <laughs> I'm like, yes, this guy gets spiked in the first three minutes of the movie. Literally the first, yes. like, 90 seconds. <laughs> yes. It's, I mean, me in the theater. I mean. I'm like, 100%. I was hoping I'd get to see more of that movie than the movie we actually ended up getting after the fact. I mean, it, it's a money shot. Make no mistake. I'm like. All right. Yeah, it's there to amp up the audience. Well, they had to spend the money somewhere. <laughs> Dude, that happens before the title of the movie is even shown to the audience. Right. So, like, after that scene, it, like, immediately cuts to the titles. <laughs> Again, like, it's it's kind of like Whiplash. Like, with Avenging Force, you get this opening sequence, and then it just cu- immediately cuts to the title screen, um, which gives us the first tones of Jerry Goldsmith's score, which is really which doing is them. Which is incredible. It's doing the most here. It is much like it carries, the best thing about this movie. Oh, dude, it carries the entire movie. Well, much Seriously. like the Masters of the Universe score, it's so fanfarish and so bombastic that it really gives us the illusion that we're watching something more exciting than what we're ac- actually seeing on screen. Well, there's no illusion of the Masters of the Universe, as I proved Nick wrong and proved everyone else wrong with that, that it's a masterpiece of cinema. Should have been awarded many Oscars. But in this case... Yes, no, and, and you can tell it's 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 not one of his best scores. You can tell he was definitely like taking a nap during it, but still it's like Nick said perfectly, it is amazing and it carries this entire fucking movie. Without that score, you have literally nothing here. False. You have the all unbelievable all right, all right, the all unbelievably right. great scenery chewing performances of Herbert Lom and John Reese Davies, Gimli himself. Literally Well and in, Sala from Indiana Jones. So they even cribbed well, yeah, and they John Reese Davies from Indiana Jones. That. Yeah, it's just, I, 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 I know giving the same performance from, from except he's a villain. Range, it's I lo- it's it's almost just this weird subplot, this kind of weird antagonism they have toward each other, but he's Turkish and he's German and they're working together because they're allies and it's just it, like there's just this weird antagonism throughout like that whole thing. Like to where they don't really spend a lot of time for them. Like, like Quatermain's supposed to be like, you know, the protagonist and like, they're supposed to be against him, but really it's one of those movies where the bad guys are literally just fighting with themselves the whole time and not like against our protagonist. See this movie, Loisos mentioned this. He said that this is movie is just a series of set pieces and it's the same set piece over and over and over again it's dressed a little differently it has a different native tribe or a different scenario or whatever in it and then the bad guys like deus ex machina the good guys out of trouble every single time it literally how many times in this movie are quatermain and jesse in an impossible to escape situation and then gunfire or an explosion from the bad guys are are you know, antagonists, the Turkish and the Germans. There's so many times in this movie when literally they get out of an impossible to escape situation. The exact same. This is like 2012 levels of fucking screenwriting. When literally a plane takes off like three different times in the fucking runway crumbles underneath it because they just didn't have any other fucking ideas. 
I just threw my pen. I was really, really animated and excited. I'm very that. sorry. Leave that sound effect in. But I'm going to go out on a limb here before we go any deeper into this thing. And I already know what you guys are going to say. But <laughs> yes. I think that compared to the other canon fair we've watched so far, um, this doesn't look as much like a canon movie. The budget was estimated at about $12 million. Um, the movie made about $5 million opening weekend. Its gross ended up being $15 million, so a Canada movie made money. It wow. looks cheap. It certainly looks cheap. Richard Chamberlain himself, when asked about the film's budget, he was told it was $5 million. He stated more like $2.50. <laughs> but I think... I think the sets in this movie look better than most canon films. I think they were actually trying with this one. They wow. were literally trying to ape Indiana Jones. And this wasn't the first one. All right. Make no mistake. Canon wasn't like jumping right on the back of fucking Harrison Ford and Lucasfilm. And Everybody wanted to make the next. Everyone Indiana had already Jones done it beforehand. That. Everyone. I mean, Romancing the Stone, which we're going to talk about in a little bit as another reference point, uh, had already done it before this Robert Zemeckis' film. But I mean. Adventure films came back into play in the 80s because of Indiana Jones and a little idea that Mr. George Lucas had. But for me and my viewpoint, looking at this thing, I'm like, wow, this set looks actually pretty well done. Production design here looks pretty well done. I don't disagree. For a canon film. I think the production design in this film and even some of the costume work and some of the practical effects work, I think it's it's, it's among – the better things in this movie. Uh, there are a lot of really, 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 really fucking bad elements. It's not your giant elements. meatballs. It's not your meatballs or your giant yeah, it's, testicles it's way, from Invaders from God. Mars, right? It's, it's light years beyond production and costume design for Invaders from Mars. There, there are really, really good elements to the production design, to the costuming, the sets, like everything, like you're mentioning. There's some really, really good things in there, and I really, really enjoyed those aspects of it. Those were the only things that kept me going <laughs> through the absolute <laughs> fucking drivel that is the screenplay for this movie. It is, and I'm gonna I don't do this normally during canon features because it's it's a thing that we're doing because it's canon movies and we know they're bad, but hey, 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 I, Shut up! it's happening. Shut up! Now you have to take this with the caveat that this is, of course, my first time viewing the film through a 2020 lens looking back at a 1985 film. But I mentioned it on Facebook when I was watching the film that if you wanted to write a master's thesis about misogyny in Hollywood, this film could be your singular, singular and only fucking example. It is bafflingly misogynistic. Sharon Stone's performance ranges from just hysterical to screaming to one point when she's flying a plane and we'll talk about that airplane scene in detail i am sure one point where she's like my father said he wanted a son i bet he'd know how to do this and i just like this film's point is that women are just comically bad at everything and then you have quatermain Almost all of his dialogue to her character is just mansplaining things at her. Like, literally, he repeats himself at her numerous times, like, dumbing himself down every time because her character's too stupid to understand it. It is one of the worst written female characters I have ever seen in a fucking and isn't motion she picture. supposed to be an archaeology major in this movie? And the funny thing is, the funny thing is, if you think about 
who's playing this and i know we we know what sharon stone goes on to do and to be in her career she usually plays very very strong female characters so it's especially off-putting to see sharon stone of all people in this role basically playing a hysterical screaming stupid woman who can't do anything right it is legitimately it is one of the worst written female characters i have ever 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 seen i was livid watching this fucking movie every time she spoke or did anything or every time quatermain would talk to her because he always talked down to her it was very condescending insulting and i'm like i said i know 1985 and i'm watching it with a modern lens but this is still unforgivably fucking offensive and bad it's horrible it's well, see, terrible well see here's the thing so the character is very obviously meant to be a uh like a yuppie like a well, like a, well no a, repl- a replication i guess you could say of willie scott from the temple of doom it's the exact same hairstyle the exact same uh you know whininess um the performance is embarrassing, first of all. I mean, Sharon Stone is legit awful she, in this. Worst performance I've ever seen her give. She's given some <laughs> amazing performances, too. And, oh, I was d- dreadful. Holy shit. And, but but the character, as Nick so eloquently put it, is also just terribly written. And I'm wondering, because some people claim that this is like a parody of Indiana Jones, um, trying to play up the elements of misogyny and racism to to uh to to parody those elements that were prevalent in indiana jones um but the stereotypes here are just so gross and retrograde that it's not it's to me it can't be parody because it's not playing up those elements enough it's just it's just replicating it's them not on screen it's cheek enough no, to be, no, no, no it's it's not. Not. turn the dial to an eight when it should have been a ten Absolutely. So if they wanted to do a parody, it should have been more overtly comedic. You take a look at something like the Naked Gun series, and you you could see how like an Indiana Jones parody written by those guys and directed by those guys would have made for, uh, you know, that would have been a great parody. There would have been an over-the-top version of, of, of this type of a movie where something like that would have felt somewhat more in place. This is it's it's legitimately there are just literally moments in the film where she is she will just start hysterically screaming for yeah. no reason because like her character has absolutely nothing to add to anything like w- like she at one point gets kidnapped and then like have you seen a girl an american girl get out of my way like, well yeah several times in the movie the the how they how they distract the enemies or whatever is she just pretends to seduce them and they do that at least three or four times in the film again it, going back to the same well over and over and over and over the script like i said i don't even think the direction is is that bad in this movie i think it's not like for what this for what it has to work with and for the performances that it's ringing out of some of these actors which we'll still talk about more i don't think that thompson's doing a terrible job i just think the script is is it's literal dog shit it is no you literally, literally could yeah. have had somebody staring at a pile of shit all day smelling the fumes and just spouting off whatever dumb nonsense came to their fucking brain in a shit high and it would have been more coherent and better Nick, than this fucking script when there's a scene in the film when stone rolls out of a cart with a bunch of rotten vegetables and in my view 
that is exactly what have been her career had she kept doing fucking canon movies. Oh. It's so hilarious when you think of it because we're not going to talk about this movie, ladies and gentlemen. You're not going to get this out of us, no matter how many votes you give on the poll. We're not going to talk about the sequel to this movie that was uh, apparently shot, you know, concurrent with this one. I hope um, to God yes, we don't end up having to watch that for canon quarantine. <laughs> but, but but Sharon Stone went on to do better things, a la Police Academy 4, and then after that, we have our Total Recalls, and then we have our Casinos and our Basic Instincts. So yes, you know where her career went. But it's shocking to me, guys. It really is shocking to me watching this. I mean, obviously, the ADR all around in this movie is horrible. But her performance all around is just outright terrible. It's bad. If if I was ever looking at this from a viewpoint of, look at this star. Whoever knew she could become something, and I watched this movie with that lens, I'd be like, I would have no idea how she could become the person we see in Martin Scorsese's Casino. It's literally a you double know what fucking I mean? whammy. She's literally giving a terrible performance with absolutely the worst material to work from. And I don't know where the, the I mean, I, the, the script gets more blame. I won't say I don't know where it should begin and end. The script definitely gets more blame because she's getting absolutely nothing to work with in this. There's one point we talked about again, you know, before we got to this segment, but there's one scene in which they are thrown into a comically large cauldron to be cooked into a soup by the natives. And they end up tumbling the cauldron down a hill. And after this, for some reason, <laughs> she just suddenly becomes insanely thirsty for some Quatermain dick. Legitimately, like she must have just gotten like spin cycled and like she's like swooning over him all of a sudden. And like she must be pretty desperate because he is the sitting most in, like, filthy water surrounded by vegetables and shit. And she's ready to start sucking him off right there in the car. Well, maybe, 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 well, maybe she got got a carrot caught in her throat or something, a really long <laughs> one. I don't know. But like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying the most uncharismatic motherfucking person on the planet here. Well, also, there's a hungry lion waiting just outside, uh, ready to eat them. I don't know why don't they don't act more scared uh, of that. Well, that lion looks horny. Maybe they just thought it was in heat or something. I don't know. But I also, just, uh, it leads to the most awkward and uncomfortable kissing scene, I think, in motion picture history. Disturbing as hell. Loisos, I guarantee you that we could give modern audiences a better makeout scene. The two of you... You and Nick, Boys, or the two I'll, of me, well, certainly I'll, I'll together. We, also, we, we can I make love the, the head fact, better than that. I love the fact that the cauldron looks entirely different and is shaped completely different when it's rolling down the hill than when we see it initially. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely complete because it's got like a flat bottom when it's rolling down the hill. <laughs> it's like completely different. Uh, what I imagine yeah. is that they had that initial cauldron prop and tried to roll it down the hill, but it was probably top heavy and just rolled all over the place where they would have like fallen out of it. So that's right. why they had that that other different. But, but like I said, but that again, that is what the script gives her to do in this film. She goes from being a hysterical again in that airplane sequence. There's a moment when she just covers her eyes. She's flying a plane, which first she can't figure out how to fly. And then somehow she just fails her way into it while literally Quatermain is just shouting instructions at her repeatedly yeah. in the most demeaning manner possible. 
Whenever then, characters are scared in this movie, they just cover their eyes. Yeah, she that seems to work her out for eyes them. And screams well, the whole time while she's flying. And what I was doing when I was plane. watching those scenes was covering my eyes because of the awful fucking blue screen effects, <laughs> which are the worst blue screen effects oh that I've God. ever seen in any so movie. I don't know where ever the blame goes. Made. I don't know where it begins and ends. There, dude, it's better. But- dude, I'm telling you, I'd rather watch Superman four. For the blue screen effects they put in that movie, can <laughs> I mean they put more budget into that? It's Here's just the thing. it's it's I, like I said, I want to move on from <sighs> Stone, but it's just it, I, the script is. We'll get we'll get to Chamberlain. Let's 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 go to our our main Holy character here, fuck. who's supposed to be our main character. But but I have to throw this to you guys because I I'm usually okay with like a cold open and like oh, I'm just gonna go jump into the action here. But the movie opens and we have literally no idea why they're together. Or how they found out about her father being, you know, missing in action, or why Quartermain's even involved here. We're just led to believe, oh, he's he. And she even says it later. You're an adventurer, shouldn't you be showing me this stuff? The movie opens with them already in the jungle and her complaining within like the first five minutes. And I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. I mean, had, yeah. Had, had, our, had our lead character been actually charismatic. Had you put a, like a Tom Selleck or even a Tom Berenger in this fucking role, someone of that caliber in the 80s that could lead an 80s actioner, totally fine. Richard Chamberlain, not the guy for the role. How the fuck? I mean, I get it's canon and they and that's what they're known for is picking the wrong person for the role most of the time. But how the fuck did this guy? The, the problem that I cast? have with it, too, is is not just not just that, but. The script doesn't give him shit to do with dialogue again. And most of the time he's just talking to Jesse in the most condescending manner possible. But his line delivery is so flat. Like he's he's reciting this stuff like he's reading it off of the page most of the time, which I'm sure is, uh, you know, because of the ADR work. But he's not even trying to put any kind of life into this character. This character is like a wet fucking sack of a character. Like you just don't give a shit about him. He's bland. He's he is basically just like meant to be like you you kind of as an audience member it's almost as if they want you to go into this film and just swap Harrison Ford in in your head yeah basically i mean unless else can can you imagine john hurt was originally offered this oh role and he turned it down could you imagine Caleb john hurt just in this role said on on netflix and swill i think last week or whatever just you know talked about how amazing john hurt is could we just get a moment for how fucking incredible john hurt is rest in peace john hurt what a fucking actor he was like god he was amazing this movie with him in the lead like are you kidding me oh man yeah because i i mean i'll defend the movie as far as this goes justin you just um talked about the fact that there's no real setup or characterization i kind of liked that because it reminded me of a serial an old 1930s serial or 40s serial it doesn't bother with setup or characterization it jumps right into the action and it just kind of drops you right in and i Would like you that really have wanted to sit through 20 minutes of character setup with these performances and these characters not at all. well not, not that but i mean usually <laughs> at some point in the film or the serial if i if you will you're you, you're given an explanation in some way but oh sure it's so convoluted in this piece uh that Okay, I'm supposed to buy into this. Like, yeah, no. I how did takes, she find him? Why are they together? So that even Golden and Globus were like, no, don't put that shit in there. <laughs> and also, guys, did you, did you, um, may- maybe it's something I completely missed, but where did the father go? Because they're talking about the whole film about like finding the father, and then they find him on the train, right? 
And then he's gone. He's, he just completely disappears from the movie. Which, I thought well, that was well, the whole not, there's a Well, not before he's whipped viciously. Yeah, there's a throwaway line of dialogue where uh, Quatermain tells Umbopo to take him back to the village. And then it's after they get off the train. And then Umbopo is like, I'll catch up with you later. And that's the last time we see Umbopo in the Dude, film. Dude, I'm telling you right now, though. That's basically seriously. what they end up doing with the father character is they just kind of dispose of him. <laughs> they get rid of him from the movie Dude, because it's like, OK, movie. The way that motherfucker is whipped with that whip and they keep going back to look what you did. You broke the whip again, <laughs> motherfucker. And then the one guard's like, I'd rather give pleasure than pain. He's about to shove his dick in that motherfucking old mouth. He's about to shove it. I'm just saying he's doing it. Yeah, he's about to do it. The but saying, it makes the weirdest fucking choices, man. You're like, wait, why is he even? I thought he was supposed to like transcribe some kind of ancient whatever. Who and then cares? It's like- Literally, the script <laughs> feels like it was written by a third grader. <laughs> the dialogue is so simplistic. It's like the, the the scene where they're trying to get him to talk. It's literally just talk. Make him but you talk. see you you see the whip break twice. Yeah, I they know. Just, they're literally and they're hitting the actor. I apologize that I'm not bringing up the actor's name at the moment, but no one cares. Actually, you can see that they're hit. Well, that actor may. Maybe He's I'll dead. go visit He's his grave dead. after this. I'll go visit his fucking grave and I'll leave a fucking broken whip on his gravestone. Okay, <laughs> just for this, but. You see that he's getting he's actually getting hit with that thing. Like you could tell how sleazy J. Lee Thompson was and his canon filmography by this point, what he's done up until this point. You know, the amount of whipping this old man gets like, yeah, audience members want to see this old fuck get the shit whipped out of him with this fucking cat tailed whip over and over again. They just repeatedly show this violence toward this old man who you could tell is like very, very feeble and fragile over and over again. Well, yeah, they want to. They want to. They they want to sell those villains. Um, but I actually think that that train chase sequence is actually not bad. I think it's well directed. Except- I, I think if you get dragged across train tracks like Quatermain does in this film, you oh, would there's have. There's no fucking way he's not bouncing <laughs> around like a fucking rag doll back there. But he's just sliding along smooth as silk back there. <laughs> like there's he's literally going over rocks and railroad ties, and he's not moving like at all. But I'll. I'll give you, I will give you, Loisos, that most, and I mean most of the train sequence is entertaining, except for two really, really baffling things. First of all, they just have Jesse, Sharon Stone's character, walk through. There's all these Germans with machine guns on this flatbed train car for whatever reason, and she just walks through and she's just sitting there flirting with all of them. Oh, hey, boys. Hey, because again, they just use her as a sect object in this film. I read a review of this film after I watched it where somebody talked about the fact that her shorts just get progressively higher and higher. They're they right do. I knee noticed length, that. Knee length at the beginning of the movie, and they're literally like short shorts by the end of the movie for whatever reason. When she enters the mine, when she enters the mines, her shorts are at least twenty percent shorter Literally. than they were. Like it's almost at least it's almost basic instinct here. It's almost basic instinct here. You can almost it leaves nothing to the imagination. But there's that sequence, and then and then there's a sequence where Quatermain opens a train car, and there's this entire like German garrison in there, and they all train their guns on him, and then he just like starts. Oh, he does the song, like singing songs <laughs> with them, and then like. Playing on the playing on a bugle and he just walks right to it's the most baffling, whacked out shit. It's somebody did a Stephen King and Maximum Woman Drive level of cocaine and was like, This sounds like it'll be funny. It doesn't make any it's fucking awkward. sense. It's They're awkward. supposed to be chasing down Quatermain and killing him or stopping him from getting to Solomon's mines. It like 
but they're all just like nobody. Why does nobody know who he is? They should have shot him on sight immediately. Literally, <laughs> nobody even knows who he is. They're just like you know what they were trying like, to do. Ha, 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 ha. They were trying to do their Indiana Jones scene where you have the swordsman flipping the sword all around, and Indy. They're tr- they're trying to do an Indiana Jones like thing without understanding how to craft a scene that makes any kind of sense or have a joke that pays off. Um, and there are lots of scenes like that throughout the movie. There's well, so direct, many. direct ripoff scenes. You have the scenes scene where, um, you know, you have a chase through a marketplace where, uh, well in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Marion's kidnapped and she's in the basket and he's trying to figure out which basket it is where as in this one, it's Jesse in the rug. Then you have the scene where they're, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We cannot go one second further without talking about the fact that they take her up to where Dagati's waiting for her and they unroll the carpet and she just hilariously comically just keeps rolling right out of the carpet, right <laughs> off the side of the fucking platform. I actually loves that. I just that thought that was is hilarious. Just, like, holy shit. I literally, I was great, I literally just comedy like, yelled out loud. I was like, what the fuck? That was like, I'm watching a Three Stooges short. That was exactly what shit. that was. That was li- like, so literally was like, fucking yes, pratfalls. Thank you. Which I'm expecting because, again, this but is a... There's an in- no, there's a problem. There's an inconsistency of tone. There's <laughs> there an inconsistency is. of tone here. Agree. And, and, and I don't think, I think so. I don't think so all the way. I think from my viewpoint on this movie, I'm definitely going to come in less harsh than the both of you. I agree with most of your points, actually almost all of them. But the fucks I give are absolutely zero <laughs> because it's a kid <laughs> movie. And it's a direct Indiana Jones ripoff. And it's directed by G. Lee Thompson. He's in his fucking 80s at this point. Um, also, it is a throwback. I think it's definitely ripping off Indiana Jones, but it's a throwback to those old pulpy cereals that Lois House referenced earlier on in the review. And those didn't always make sense. Actually, half the time they never did. And this actually, in my opinion, captures the spirit of those cereals perfectly. And sure. I'll agree. I with mean, that. like in, in that respect, I enjoy it because I don't care. Um, I don't think the film is good, but I do still think it is one of the better, bigger budget canon movies that they made because it seemed like they were like, let's put our best director in there. And J. Lee Thompson was one of their best directors that they had. Think about what he had done up until that point. Guys, do you know who was supposed to direct this thing before he took over? Who, Justin? Toby Hooper was supposed to direct oh, this thing. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, and I love Toby, and I'm not going to hate on Toby. He's one of the best horror directors of all time. But he 1985, was the guy, Toby Hooper. I don't know. They they were going to go, yo, just well, give it to a this short guy. Time later, gave us the wonderful canon classic Invaders from Mars with giant meatballs. But, but you have to you have to monsters. look at the composition of some of these shots and some of these action sequences. I think it's a very competently made canon movie. Some of the, I would I actually, agree with some of the shots. Yes, yeah. some of them I, the I'm camera's saying, in a weird place, and some of them like it doesn't well, make yeah. a lot of sense. But well, because we know because we know what the budget it is and so we know what the the schedule is going to be so we know how you know what the cutoff was going to be at this point but i think for what it is you know i forgive a lot and and we've talked about this with numerous other canon films i you you have to go into this expecting that you're going to forgive a lot of things those big scenes now i know you guys want to talk about you know the blatant racism in the Jesus movie, Christ. but I'm just saying those big tribe sequences with all those hundreds of extras, that's not easy to do. That's not easy to maneuver. And Jaylee Thompson actually did that perfectly. I think there's some great shots of those 
crowds of the tribes. And there's a bunch of shots like that. So, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. racism hashtag woke motherfuckers here's your spot enjoy it well it's not about being woke it's about uh pointing out rampant racism <laughs> when it that's appears being woke that's being woke um well sure i guess um yep. but yep but let's let's dive into that a little bit so um this is the uh, nick would you agree that this is the most racist film ever made? <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe Birth of a Nation. Okay, I was, I was gonna the, say, are we? <laughs> listen, 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 listen. We, we need to get Chris Yaney, one of our biggest, you know, supporters on the show, up here. I can't say its name. Oh, it's forbidden. Oh God, yeah. Con- it's forbidden. Constantly with the Song of the South thing, but it's, I can't this is, say that. It's this buried is not... deep in the deep in the Disney vault underneath Walt's corpse. So Song of the South is more like innocent racism, if that makes sense. It's like it, no, yeah. They, I mean, it was it wasn't malicious racism. This is like on another level of. So you're saying this was purposely racist? See, I don't know if it was trying to be a parody or not, because it's to the point where, like, in 1985, we were way past this, like, I, and. It's almost Granted. like when I'm watching it. When I was watching it, I was I was getting a vibe of it's 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 racism through like sheer ignorance in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I mean, and not even like because Indiana Jones, you could argue that there's a lot of racism embedded in in that. Um, the whole Temple of Doom sequence when they're at the Indian Palace and they're eating the monkey brains and whatever, like that that is a caricature. Uh, Whereas this, it's just like they're hurling insults like cheap-suited camel jockey and towel-headed creep. And they're using nationality as an insult constantly. It's like they'll just say, like, you Turkish imbecile, and like as if Turkish is <laughs> as if Turkish itself is like an insult. Um, then you have like the tribal people like swinging upside down from vines like monkeys, and they're set, like they're giving Sharon Stone gifts, and it's like maybe but, they've on, never seen on, a white on. woman before. But is the is the hanging from the trees thing from the original book or not? Not that I've that, researched. Granted, I haven't read I, it from I, beginning to end. I was curious. I, I didn't know if you looked into that or not because when I was watching the film, I was going to leave it up to you because you are the researcher on the show when it comes to that thing. I could be and wrong, but even very then, curious. That was if that was, even if even if that is, and even if even if and, and, you know, I don't know how much research their anthropologists 
that they I'm sure that Golden Globe is hired on set to <laughs> make sure that cultures were represented appropriately. Yeah, here's in the $10. Film. $10. Go, yeah. go research. So that notwithstanding, like even if there was like some tribe they were paying homage to where that was actually a thing, like it doesn't excuse like Lois Haas is right. The one scene like where they they're like showering her with gifts, they purposely like she takes her shirt off and they go like wash her clothes. So like they got like a full like she got like a full fucking perm like all of a sudden and like they're both like yeah, that was weird and proper and like she's like especially like shining in the shot and like all the dialogue is about how like they're almost worshipping her because she's so beautiful because she's this beautiful white woman and then she gets a crown like a sparkly crown a diamond crown well and then and then richard chamberlain does all these like uh sitcom lines where where you know they're hanging upside down from the vines and he's like it must be hell keeping change in their pockets and he like practically turns to the camera and you imagine that canned laughter sound that line would never make sense yeah i was i was Ever. I wasn't fast Ever. enough for his Or like the scene where they're about to get cooked and he's like, apparently they prefer white meat. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. But see, that stuff to me, honestly, that's innocent to me in my mm, viewpoint. No, someone no. had to write those lines. They did write those lines, but I think for the time they were no. written innocently. <laughs> I, this is my viewpoint. You can say no all you want. That's what I'm saying to you. At the time, there was a different social climate a different political climate i think i don't think it was meant to be like against anyone in particular That's why i, I, I think, think it's it i think a lot of it anybody. is just racism by ignorance i think it's just yeah. not even not even trying to pay any kind of cultural respect whatsoever like it's literally just like what kind of like caricature is fucking not trying to it's not going to listen that's my Again, point though that's my point that it. it's it's, it's not it. even trying say it it's not going to. It's a fucking canon film. Like I said, these, these I will the- forgive them so much, but that doesn't excuse like just having again. That's okay. I've gone back to it a That's dozen okay. times. The absolute pile of dog shit that is this script. There's a line where he, like, some of the lines like, "I don't believe in the minds, but I'm beginning to believe in you." It's like cringe town, cringe city. The and screenwriter again, for this film would go on to a successful career writing episodes of The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and Justin's shaking his head like, yes, this is a canon movie, but um, it is what it is. And I do love the scene, too. Um, this is kind of straying away from dialogue, but one of my favorite shots of the movie is there's the the motorcycle with the sidecar. And at one point, it goes over the little hill and it flips over and it explodes for no reason oh and get God. a bad dummy shot. Because <laughs> <laughs> the guy in the sidecar jumps out, but the driver is like a bad dummy. Oh, what happens is literally, it just it lands upside down, and it's like the most the most epic explosion from this little motor. <laughs> Guys, seriously, the best work in this film is by far the airplane stuff. With that blue screen, you have to, come on, guys, come you, on. You have Quatermain come on. hanging very convincingly off the wing of the airplane. <laughs> oh, Tom Cruise ain't got nothing on. It's maddening. Uh, it's really, Richard Chamberlain. That was the scene in the movie when I started to get really, really angry at it because, again, it's all of all of Quatermain's dialogue is just shouting condescendingly at Jesse, who is just shrieking hysterically, like it. It's. It just Listen, it left guys, such a bad fucking taste in my mouth. I don't care if it's a canon movie or not. Like that's that's not the point. Like it left just a really really bad taste in my mouth. Like 
I, but is it how? But is it how it's written? How it's performed? Or is it just yes. an accumulation <laughs> of, yes. of all of it? Like I said, what I don't know. Where, is, I don't know. To go back to my earlier discussion, I don't know where that buck stops and, and starts. I don't know if you blame Stone more for the performance, or if you blame the fact that she had really shitty misogynistic material to work from, or if you blame well, then she then, then she had to do all of her fucking lines, you know, after the fact. ADR. The, her ADR is like literally the worst I've ever heard for any movie ever seriously and she plays the character there's performance too so you can't completely blame script all the way she plays it as deer in headlights the entire fucking movie seriously i've seen plenty of actors in canon movies and we're gonna get to those movies hell even in our our canon review of cobra bridget nielsen is better in that movie than Sharon Stone is in this movie and yes. more convincing. Like light you know years I mean? better. So what I'm saying is, is de- depend on the material and what you look at on the page, you can still make better of it than what it is. And she's been on paper known, you know, this is on record that she hated making this movie. So why she decided to like keep making the second movie after this is beyond me. Um, you know, she kept doing it. She did it. We, yeah. But she's, she's, she, I think she's the worst thing about it. I think, if anything, Chamberlain's fine at best. I've seen him do good work in other things. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, we, we, we pre show, we went well, down the got, line of the stuff they had done. Scenery chewing villains in the film, but I think here's the here's the other problem with Quatermain is that Quatermain they don't pit him against the antagonists enough to really. Or really directly either. Make him there's there's make no... him better by comparison, or really where you can see those great like there's that one scene at the end of the film where Dogati, who somehow survives like three different situations, like randomly he just keeps showing up in the movie because it's like, well, John Reese Davies is the best thing about it. We got to keep bringing him back somehow. Yeah, that's weird. Like, okay, so at one point Herbert Lom, who first of all I love Herbert Lom because I grew up watching the Pink Panther movies, and he was Commissioner Dreyfus, and he was so so good in those movies. So it was great to see him playing a different I'm, role here. I'm but, very very glad that he went to the Canon School of Gun Firing and Gun Holding. At one point, the gun is like laying sideways in his hand, and he's firing <laughs> it as if he's fucking shooting it at somebody. It's it's yes. literally like the laziest fucking thing. I mean, it it supersedes even like being on a film set where they're being really tight ass and not spending money you know how to hold a fucking gun like it's yeah. you guys, a gun if i could get anything I'll, I'll be honest here if i was dying right now and i had a make a wish like there was a make a wish foundation for me i'd be like take me back in time to when they made canon films and let me be on the set and let me see what it was like for them to make canon films because you guys both know at this point it's probably all of them splitting three big macs for lunch every day like the whole crew 100 nick because this is newer to you than it is you know new to me and lois house because we've been watching the movies a lot longer than you have but you can see at this point now you can just imagine in your head you can daydream and be like this is what it was like for them to make these movies. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, like to go back to that point, like Loisos was going to mention that scene where they get to the cave and then. Yeah. So, um, Sala, not Sala. Um, yeah, sorry. Dugati. Dugati. Yes. <laughs> Shoots him. And I'm like, okay, that's the end of that. Several character. times. So I will pluck out your eye and I will crush it underfoot like a grape. Yeah, another line that sounds like it was written by a third grader. I'm going to get that tattooed on my back. <laughs> but um, so 
there's no point in bringing him back because then he gets buried alive in the next scene only for him to come back again, having survived getting rocks, you know, being buried in rocks. So it's like (laughs) that fight scene, though, that fight scene, dude. He's fighting him and he's fucking totally on fire the entire fucking the, the time. Thing, the thing that I was going to bring up about it is it's like literally the whole time, like it's just been, it's just been Quatermain and Jesse just kind of doing their own thing and running against tribe after tribe after tribe of natives while the antagonists are just like against each other, but also in pursuit of them, but also also trying to get to the mines. So like by the time you get to the end of this thing, it's it's literally the first time that I think Dugati has even mentioned Quatermain in like an hour plus of screen time. Like you have that one moment really early in the film where he's like, raw Quatermain and like rawr. No, he, me- he mentions him throughout, but they don't share. He says his, he, they, they he share his no name like time. Like it, it, there's no, time, yeah. the there's film, no yeah. build up. There's no like real anything to do between these characters. So by the time they get to that final fight, I was like, oh, we have to sit through this now. Like, it's just like you don't care. Like, it's like he already well, fucks. Killed- I give her zero to see a guy totally on fire yeah. fighting some other he dude. Even if you see his- like Bachner was even, like even- the real bad guy that we really hated. Even if you see his fire mask on already, who cares? Even if Sala like, did okay. mow down like all those guys in that quicksand scene where he just mows down all the fucking troops and then they like dude, play hopscotch across ever. their fucking bags. Dude, dude Loisos, I know how much you love innocent murder. You love seeing innocence. Did he murders all those motherfuckers? He just even to- murders not even the Germans. He murders I his own men to too. See a kid get decapitated. But he doesn't kill the German, he, just the Germans. He kills his own men too, which is like it's just so cold blooded over him. I know, dude. It's great. I, I I can't help it. As sadistic as it can be, I laid on my couch over here. Yeah, I love the best. Let me, let me seriously, that. like like Bachner and Degati were the best parts of this film. They give the best performances. They are obviously chewing scenery. They're obviously having a lot of fun with this. You know, it's it's again, it, it takes me back to Masters of the Universe where you're watching Frank Langella give that performance as Skeletor. It's on a completely different level. This is a very, very similar it film is, to Masters of the Universe, yeah. wherein your your protagonist, your basic hero of the film is just a very, very bland kind of one note vehicle that you're just strapping yourself into to go through the ride of this movie as it happens to you. Question then, on a question. Who's more charismatic? Who's more interesting to watch on screen? Wait, you, Physique. Like Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. I mean, it's Lundgren. It's definitely Lundgren. Okay, I win. Lundgren's in the better movie by far. Masters of the Universe runs fucking circles around this piece of shit. Yes! Yes, I win. I'm so happy. Can <laughs> we talk about, too, the spectacularly fake-looking giant spider holy shit balls dude i've seen a better fucking spider than this shit at spirit halloween (laughs) last year for 10 bucks holy fuck that but but loisos you can talk about that but dude the budget for the crocodiles that shit's fucking legit you can make fun of the blue screen all you want they had to have a fucking crocodile sure. wrangler on set for they had I counted like what 15 crocodiles a bunch of for them, yeah. real around all of those extras around all the actors Even though every time somebody got killed by those crocodiles they just recycled the same shot over and over again it's literally the same shot every time <laughs> well how would you do it they're fucking vicious wild creatures that will I know, actually I just, snap your I, fucking just, hand off i mean it's it's one of those things and like i said watching these kind of movies you're just forgiving that obviously but it was funny as hell 
I mean, I can't think of any other canon movie where they had like 15 crocodiles doing that. But Lois House, you want that spider, though? That seems like a John Peters idea for some reason. <laughs> I'm getting Superman lives flashbacks. No. Um, yeah, no, the giant spider. Well, first of all, because the movie, obviously, it has somewhat of a heightened or, you know, lighthearted tone throughout. But it, it threw me for a loop when you see the giant spider, because there's no indication that this is like a fantasy film um, up until that point. And also doesn't um, uh, one, it's one of the characters who gets eaten by like a sea monster or a sea creature of some sort. Yeah, that that's, comes out of the that's, that's, that's Bachner at the end, at the end of the movie when he steps is that a hippo? on, that's a fucking hippo, bro. That is not that's a fucking a bad... hippo. That is not yes, a hippo. It is a hippo. It is not. It a is. Hippo. I looked it up. It's a hippo. That looks like a, a fucking hippo. dragon or like the Loch Ness monster. It's or like some kind of sea creature. No, 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 no. It's a hippo. I looked it up. Okay, I mean, well, if it's a hippo, then it's shot so poorly that we can't you know, see that it's just, 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 just a just, hippo's mouth is not big enough to fit a whole fucking person in it. Unless it's yes, a giant it hippo. No, it is. A hippo's mouth is definitely big enough to, to fit a person in it. 100%. They kill more people every no, listen, single year listen, than listen. any other animal. Yes, on the they planet. could swallow a person like fucking lengthwise. I'm not saying like you, they couldn't like fit their mouth around your head, but Bachner is literally laying fucking end to end across this fucking thing's teeth. But it's a cannon movie. Like and it's it a hippo. Like I looked it up, dude. Prop, I'm telling the, you right the, now. The creature effect, the prop is so fucking poor that you can't tell what it is. Without having to look it up. It seriously looked like a dragon to me. I thought it was like a, a sea monster, like a Loch Ness monster type. I thing. could have sworn it was some kind of sea creature when I saw it, but I'll have to I'll have to look back. L- look at the mold. Look at the yeah. nostrils. Please watch look at the it eyes again. and the ears. Yeah. Don't tell me to watch it again. I looked it up. I Hippos are my favorite animal of all time. And when I saw that, I was like, is that a shitty hippo? And then I looked it up and that was their attempt at a hippo. And that's what they ended up with. Again, well, that's that embarrassing scene, if that's the case. That, 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 well, that, well, that scene was, was shot at the end of the production schedule. The funny thing so about again, it is it probably was made out of paper mache <laughs> and then they had it underwater. So it, it looks like it's looks half like melted. It. it looks like it's like half melted when it comes out of the water. I'm willing to bet you they only had it in that shot, too. And that's why in the earlier shot in the movie, when the other what worker or whatever steps on that one stone, you don't see the prop. You just see like this churning underneath the water or whatever. And rightly so, if they did choose a hippo, because hippos are the most dangerous. You don't want to fuck with them in the water. It's man. not a real Though, goddamn hippo. <laughs> they would never be able to use a real hippo anyway. <laughs> God so. fucking damn it. That thing is like, if it's meant to be a hippo, it's like meant to be like some kind of crazy giant breed of hippo. Like those giant elephants in Lord of the Rings that they have massive like swaths oh, no. of people riding on top of. So, gentlemen, we've talked enough about awful spider props and whatever that creature is that's supposed to eat up Herbert Lom at the end. Um, but let's round out our final thoughts on the movie. Um, Justin, King Solomon's Mines. What's it all about? Like, what did you think? It's a it's a canon movie. <laughs> okay, but besides that, it's a canon movie. <laughs> I mean, honestly, listen, I said this earlier on in the episode, ladies and gentlemen, those of you that are part of our fan group, the Hopsters Dumpster on Facebook, you had the opportunity. You could have provided us 
a way to watch one of the better canon distributed films, The Company of Wolves. You did not do that. You gave us King Solomon's yeah, Mines. You. So I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna give you shit. I'm gonna bump you. You know. You're gonna you're gonna bump them. Well, well, we're near spring and summertime, and usually. You know, you go to amusement parks and you go in the bumper boats and, and you bump that motherfucker that you don't like. You, you you go in there, you get in the bumper boat and you're like, you, uh, I don't like that, dude. I'm going to go bump him off that fucking bumper boat. So um, that's where I'm going with this. And yeah, so King Solomon's Mines, it's not the worst of the canon movies that I've ever watched. Honestly, it's one of the least entertaining. But however, I I do want to give credit to Jaylee Thompson for directing the hell out of the material and the shitty actors he had on hand. I think he did a pretty good job with what he had in front of him. So while I think it's not a very good movie per se, I think it's one of the better Canon films we've watched. And I think that altogether, yes, there are a lot of things wrong with this thing. It is an Indiana Jones ripoff. It's nowhere near the level of quality that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford put together in their movie. But for canon, it's probably one of their more quality motion pictures. I mean, it made money. It made, well, barely $3 million. That's better than zero. And yet, it's certainly better than zero. Listen, I can agree with you. I'm going to go there again. They could have saved themselves $7 in newspapers and flour and not made that fucking stupid dragon hippo, whatever the fuck. (laughs) In all seriousness, guys, if they had. A compelling lead. Had they had someone with some charisma with a little bit of star power, not Richard fucking Chamberlain, which, you know, all respect to him and other stuff that he had done uh, perfectly fine. But had they had someone in there like a Michael Dudikoff or somebody that had charisma. Can you imagine this movie with the might of Michael Dudikoff? Man alive. Seriously, it could have been a hit. And, you know. Sharon, I love you. Basic Instinct, Total Recall, Casino, everything else you did after the fact. Yes, I love you. Like, a lot. Seriously, you were my wet dream when I was 14 years old. All right. But, shut up. I'm not woke (laughs) like you, motherfucker. Seriously, I'm just being honest. Just saying. We don't need to hear about Justin's wet dreams on the show. Why the fuck not? not? Oh, it's not appropriate. Wait, I'm going to go cry in a corner. (laughs) I'm just saying, seriously, get two people that are, you know, fully functional actors that can deliver performances in a movie like this within the restraints that are there. And you have a decent action motion picture. I wonder if aside from the awful script. Yeah, the script is still just absolute dog shit. But I wonder if if you got two actors into these roles that played these as over the top as you have John Reese Davies and Herbert Lom playing their characters really tongue in cheek if it wouldn't have worked better. Yeah, the script is still dog shit. There is still a just baffling amount of misogyny in the film. Females are only good for screwing everything up and just shrieking uncontrollably apparently and it's also bafflingly ignorantly racist but i wonder if you have characters because the problem is is i think chamberlain and stone are almost taking the material more seriously than they should be and well yeah (sighs) moments of the film play like parody there's a lot of slapstick involved there's a scene 
where Kazam is, sh- I can't, still can't believe it's called Kazam. It just reminds me of the Shaquille O'Neal genie movie. <laughs> but he's sh- he's shooting the gun. Um, or, or Sharon Stone has the gun and he shoots it out of her hand and he catches it. And I'm like, that's cartoon logic. So I feel like if the movie was more overtly comedic overall, then it would it would come across to the audience that it's parody. But I do agree with Nick that the film suffers from tonal weirdness. Yeah, totally, throughout. it's all over the place because in that exact same sequence, that motherfucker holds a stick of dynamite in his hand and gets blown, <laughs> which was amazing. That was one of my favorite great. parts. I love um, that. Scene. I also enjoyed the part where the German guy gets shot in the privates. Yeah straight in the dick so it's i i like i said i there's a tonal inconsistency all through this and i think that a lot of that comes down to the performances that you get from the leads in this film but even if you had really charismatic leads in this that could have delivered think of like a like a masters of the universe kind of flavor to this where it had been more over the top and more tongue-in-cheek and even with those aspects like i said it, it doesn't forgive the absolute rampant misogyny and racism in the script there is absolutely no getting around it there's no forgiving it i don't care if it's canon movie justin shrugging because it's canon movie we get it but it no i'm just i'm just shrugging because i don't think it's aware of it to be honest with you i think it is i really don't think that the, it is. i think it's ignorant of the racism i think a lot of that is is just straight out of ignorance and cultural insensitivity but i think the misogyny it knows exactly what it's doing it exactly wrote that character to be a worthless shrieking just pointless character who did nothing but muck everything up and literally at one point in the movie wishes she was a man so she would understand how to well, do sure. things. For sure. The she's, nothing, yeah. she's nothing but a hole haver. Yeah, I know. I agree with that. I just, as far as the racism aspect of it, I think they the, were just, that I think is just brought out of it, ignorance. I think, well, I, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm doesn't saying. Doesn't excuse um, it, but I'm pretty sure that's where it, it, it comes well, no, from. Well, no, no, I'm not trying to excuse anything, but what I'm saying is, I, I really I don't personally think that when they were writing this, I don't think they thought of it that way. And that's just the way that movies were written back then, especially movies like this, like adventure films. I don't think they were like, yeah, sure, let's make it like this. And that it was a hateful way of looking at it. I just think that's what they thought of when they were thinking of the old somebody pulp who thought very, very serials, which the women old pulp film- wrote Sharon Stone's character in this film. For sure. But Loisos will actually, you know, as much as he's the woke motherfucker on this show, he will go out on a limb. And I'm sure because I'm you are actually more well versed in old serials than I am, I think, for the most part. Um, That's how these were written. I mean, I just think they went back to their old playbook and I don't think they reviewed it within the eyes of a 1985 writer or 1985 director. And they made it with that viewpoint without even thinking about changing it for modern times because the movie doesn't pl- take place in modern I times. I think that's giving this script way too much credit. That's what I think it's doing. Well, no, I, I agree with no, Justin. I think they just I, surpassed I, it. I agree with Justin to a certain extent. I mean, like I said, the Indiana Jones films, which were a tribute, well, in that, in that time, a modern tribute to the old serials, even they are not exempt from doing exactly yeah, what those old serials Yeah, they're not innocent either, yeah. Right. So I think what this film – what but this film takes it to – they just ratcheted it up to 11. Um, and I was shocked, actually, at the, at the uh, depiction of, like, tribal people and natives. Um, but, you know, that's why I'm wondering if it was a parody, if it was meant to be ratcheted up in order to go into, the, think it was, go into the realm of the absurd. But if that's the case, then we have a serious 
like negligence and just like complete ignorance of of um racial sensitivity which again we should not excuse or we should not I'm not m- saying we should excuse I'm saying look at every other fucking movie made around this time during that year that wasn't the thing to do we're looking at it within glasses that are 2020 eyes but isn't that what but, we're doing with canon quarantine but, uh, that that's that's not withstanding though because again this this movie was made in 1985 it's there were films being written back in those days that had very strong female characters or, or at least at least if they weren't strong well, yes, female definitely characters strong female at characters. least if they weren't strong female characters they weren't cartoonishly stupid characters like i agree with you guys both written, in that respect like, yes. like i said literally somebody who thought very very little of women wrote that character i'm not giving it a pass through 1985 eyes and i'm not giving it a pass through 2020 eyes i don't think that this has anything to do with the serials and stuff that they're supposedly paying homage to because this is just the laziest dog shit fucking script it's literally the exact same fucking plot over and over and over again they literally get out of the same exact plot like i mentioned earlier four different times because the bad guys show up and there's an explosion or something then they get out of an impossible situation it happens over and over and over and over over again in this movie like i said i i'm not even giving it a pass from 1985 eyes 1985 fucking do better from this fucking standpoint not even to say like you know we're much more sensitive culture about these kinds of things nowadays they were they, they were about women they weren't about racism and every other movie released that year for the most part will prove that so that's that's my point of view is that we're harping on it for certain specific reasons and yes i totally agree with you guys on because. Uh, our main characters are both white. Okay. So both of those characters are archetypes and they're both presented as tough male white character, damsel in distress, white character. Yes. 100%. I don't think the racism was even thought of at all because at that point in time, that wasn't anything that was even relevant in Hollywood culture at all whatsoever. And I'm just being precise to the time. I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not on any side of the coin there with you guys. I'm just being, you know, open-minded to what the time was and what Hollywood presented. I love the part of the movie where John Reese davies says, at last, the minds of Solomon, which reminded me of the Lord of the Rings when he would say as Gimli. Minds of Moria. Exactly. <laughs> Nick understands. Nick understands. This is the I worst canon well. movie we've watched so far. Oh, you think so? Worst canon movie so far. So you Invaders like Invaders from, from Mars, Mars better. was better than this movie. Oh, I if, don't know about that. If only because I could laugh harder at how inept Invaders from Mars was. This was this this crossed ineptitude into offensive territory. Invaders from Mars never offended me. It was just really inept and bad. So, man, just it, this it had great aspects, but yeah, we're gonna leave it there. Ladies and gentlemen, for hashtag Canon Quarantine, again, Ninja 3 The Domination is coming up. Gentlemen, that is going to do it for King Solomon's Minds. That is going to do it for another week here on the Epic Film Guys podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this, the first full day of the live stream for The Cure begins at 10 a.m. today. So if you downloaded this thing first thing in the morning depending on your market, where you are in the world necessarily, but 10 a.m. Eastern on the 28th is the first full day of live stream for The Cure. Kim and Kat stay alive, maybe. It's going to be our first guest. Those ladies were an absolute blast last time. I can't wait to have them back 
on the show again and we've got so 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 many others please again head to livestreamforthecure.com make an early donation tell everyone that you possibly can help us spread the word so we can hit that goal of ten thousand dollars for a future immune to cancer next week again ninja three the domination also stay tuned over the next couple of mondays for some specials including uh kingdom of heaven the director's cut which i'm going to be reviewing with brad of the cinema guys and talk about bad movies one of the most infamously bad movies of all time battlefield earth ladies and gentlemen god good luck with that one yeah so I'm going to be joining uh, Brad with, from the Cinema Guys, and we're going to be talking about both of those movies. So stay tuned for those. And then the first full day of the live stream for The Cure, ladies and gentlemen, May 28th, we are going to be releasing an episode that week. And let's just say that it's going to be explosive. It, it, well, definitely explosive. It's going to be a hell of a good time. So I really, really hope that you're looking forward to it. So for myself, for Justin, for the God of Podcasting, ladies and gentlemen, that guy, thank you all so, so much for being here. Until next time, we will see you at the movies. This episode is brought to you by the Epic Film Guys patrons, our amazing producers and executive producers who pay us to do the show that we love to do. So a huge, huge shout out to Alan Gallarisi, Brandon Frederick, Caleb Brownlee, Dan Brennick, John DeQuilla, Julio Oliveira, Deborah Kinney, Chip Moore, Chris Maltezos, Rob Trevino, Ken Maney, Brady Cloven, Justin Winters, Scott LeVar, The Running Man, The Flash, Paul Prezula, and Gerald Morris. And a very special thank you to our top-level patrons, our executive producers on the show. Chris Yaney, Robert Moreno, our resident kaiju expert. Bill Sutton and destruction in human form, Jared Taylor. Thank you all so, so much. And we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>